0: Back to TikTok for a minute. I think that this is the really large opportunity that they've hired all the right people. It's largely the platform. You know, it's, it's a, a vertical for a period of time. And then it'll reach a saturation point.
1: This week's podcast is brought to you by App Growth Summit. Join hundreds of app experts from major brands, apps, and games in Austin, Texas on November 15th. Enjoy live local bands, Texas BBQ, and best-in-class networking, all at a breathtaking campground setting. Plus, dive into must-see content for covering the latest growth strategies from top brands and app companies. Request your invite today at appgrowthsummit.com. Welcome to Games Growth with Uptick, a podcast about the discipline of scaling digital games. We speak with industry experts and investigate trends to highlight the strategies, technology, and tactical methodology to profitably grow your game to massive global audiences. If you're interested in learning more, visit us at uptick.com. Awesome. So welcome, everyone. Really excited to have this discussion with our team members here. Just to get it started off, let's just jump right in. I want to start with Warren to go around the circle. From everyone's perspective, what's the current state of UA and how has it evolved in 2023? Warren, we'll go to you first.
2: Yeah, what's up, everybody? Glad to have Robert and Magda from the team joining us today. So. I have a lot of fresh thoughts on this. It's I think it's like conference season right now. A few of us on the team have been dipping out to different conferences lately, so a good time to kind of take temperature of the industry. And I'd say at a macro level, the theme that I keep hearing is it's like a rebirth or reinvention era. It's like we had you know user acquisition as it was traditionally refined in mobile free-to-play, which is kind of where the sector all of us came from. And... There was that era that we were operating in with perfect data for a long time and established players, established tactics. We all know that that all got upended a few years ago. Main factor being like the iOS privacy changes, but number of complicating factors at the same time, macro conditions change, et cetera. And I think the dust has settled, like we're kind of over that period of complete chaos. And in that period of, I'd say, establishing a new baseline of teams have started to figure out how to work in this new condition, these new conditions. Um, it's a more conservative period overall. It's a safe period, less experimentation, less risk. But also, I think getting back to a healthier place, companies are thinking more holistically. UA is like less about just pulling levers of optimization and more about, okay, how do we make a great marketing funnel, work across disciplines of creative user acquisition product, et cetera. So yeah, I'd say that's that's my high level thoughts, what I'm seeing from just like talking to other publishers and marketers in the space right now. Rob, how about you? Would have you been hearing word on the street lately for how companies have been evolving?
0: I think you're right to say that the rumors of like UA's demise are a little bit overblown. It was looking kind of hairy as we entered into the year, I feel like, as CPMs for ads were really low and we were seeing a lot of layoffs and there was just a lot of instability overall in the market. What I think has happened throughout this year is that people have really taken the opportunity to start to figure out what strategies are going to work in this new environment I think all of us here come from a long enough tenure in gaming and in user acquisition to remember a time before robust attribution, before like there was a time when we still had just last click and there was a time before that. And really like the changes that we've seen removed some of the bull type confidence from the market. There was a period where it was kind of a boom and a gold rush and you know Meta became the largest company in the world for a period that era is over. And now we're entering a phase where people are returning to a lot of the fundamentals. And I think that what was the fear that we see kind of like the floor dropout, is not happening. In fact, I think that there's a lot of work to be done and people are getting a lot more clever about the types of priorities that they're taking on.
2: Yeah. You mentioned that bull period of more euphoric, aggressive UA scaling and like the the perfect data was part of it, but I think also the industry was just less mature. Like We've seen with the clarity of time that a lot of those companies that were spending at the largest scales like didn't actually end up being profitable in the long run. The metrics didn't back out. And that's a theme that I hear more and more people talking about is kind of reflecting on the era. And it wasn't all that we thought it would be when the dust actually settled and we saw you know how those companies ended up some of the top spenders. So Magda, I know you're in a different part of the world than us over in Europe. And I know you've been going to a couple of conferences the last few months what is the vibe that you're hearing from your colleagues, other people that are practicing UA in that part of the world? Same kind of sentiment or or what is the macro and the positive, negative sentiment? What are you hearing over there? Uh,
3: so it's very similar. It's mm-hmm. been a little of uncertainty this year with all the privacy changes, a lot of layoffs. So. People are less sure about their jobs also. So outside, the mood is very similar to the other side of the world. But I feel like this part of the year, everything is slowed down a little bit and we are getting more sure about the future, but it's a lot of changes ahead of us also.
2: Yeah. And and Xander, I know you just went to a conference in California for the game industry. Did you? What was the sentiment there? like? What, what kind of topics did you hear people focusing on there?
1: Yeah, it's not as say depressing as it was the last six mm-hmm. to nine months. It's a little more upbeat. There's definitely is still, I think, less game developers and publishers than you'd expect to see at game developer and publisher conferences historically, which is pretty interesting. It means there's like a lot of vendors chasing a lot less potential opportunities. So that was a little bit interesting. It's also really clear that some of the sort of macro investment Dccs over the last it, decade, especially in the last couple of years, are being really fundamentally reevaluated. So it seems like there are a lot of people trying to raise money, which is a little bit funny or sad, depending on how you look at it. But I, I think to the point you were making earlier, it's really about retrenching to real business models. And after the low interest rate environment, we're really getting back to a place where fundamentals matter. I think that's something that we call appreciate. It's people whose whole job it is to you know, make business models work. The place I'd like to go to next is to talk about the 101 of what channels mix is important for folks who are doing UA today. So can we just go through, assuming you're starting UA today or you have a game that you're trying to scale, what are the most important channels and tactics that you need to be starting with?
2: Yeah, I mean, it really depends on the goals of the project at that business stage. We do a lot of soft launches for games and we still tend to focus on like the, you know, the boomer boomer channels. Like meta is good for just getting like stable user data. But more and more we've been seeing, I think that default top seat going to TikTok and even kind of replacing meta and soft launch because TikTok basically just stole all the people that built Facebook ads and built a clone of it there with, you know, a different and faster growing demographic. So I think we're in that first era of the default channel mix really changing. And with that comes like repercussions down the ladder. Like if TikTok becomes your main channel, that also informs different creative priorities. Like now you're prioritizing UGC and homemade looking content over traditional ads focusing on gameplay. So that's kind of the biggest macro change I've seen in that second tier. We still have like the in app networks and the same players kind of shuffling around who's leading. Unity and Iron Source still kind of act as separate businesses, even though they did merge together in App 11 in there. Some of the smaller in app channels like Bungle, Ad Colony, I think they've fallen off the radar a bit more. Like they're still part of the portfolio, but the percentage of share has been shrinking. Magda, what have you been seeing in like the portfolios you operate for some of our games here and for some of your colleagues? For channel mix
3: yeah I, I actually agree with everything you said i would add to android that google and meta are very strong we can't forget about google adwords because this is usually the biggest channel especially for mature games and also overalls i heard that they still work very well on Android for many genres for example social casino and i think ios it's more tricky because we have now two types of uh, networks that use scan data and also that use probabilistic so Majority of the advertisers, they decide to go for both and whatever they have choice, they go for probabilistic because this is how we usually learn how we read data. And that's what we used to. But some of the advertisers, they decided to go only for scan. I know maybe very few of them, but uh, some of them, they use only scan data networks, which for now is probably only TikTok and Meta. And as you mentioned, TikTok is very strong and growing and I would say it's uh, even easier to scale right now on TikTok than on Meta.
2: Yeah, and you touched on AdWords. AdWords is in a pretty unique state because for Android apps, it still dominates, but it's still kind of a hot mess on iOS, right? I think it very is. few teams have Google Ads working on iOS, and I don't see any real path to getting that improved for the average team anytime soon. Robert, do you have any thoughts to add on, just like the channel mixed trends that you're seeing in your work?
0: Uh, In specific, Google iOS has some very serious systemic blockers to seeing real success on that platform, largely tied to scan and scans implementation. I do think that if there's going to be a team that will eventually solve that performance issue, it'll probably be that one because they have the funding and the motivation to. That being said, it's been kind of slow and somewhat challenging and an area of kind of constant hand rigging because iOS should be the larger channel. It's the more profitable broadly channel for most games platform, I should say. And so Google being so dominant, it should have an advantage there, but there are several things that kind of work against it. That being said, there have been a lot of good signs on the Android side, and I don't think that that will slow down for Google specifically. They remain a very key testing partner. They remain a very large channel with a large footprint and ability to scale. There's a lot of optionality in your ability to target, although UAC is very limited in ways that I think we're all aware. In terms of other channel mix, like as Magda indicated, the scan versus probabilistic really drives a product-by-product understanding that usually I've found that now most products either more or less veer towards scan-only channels or probabilistic-only channels, and that tends to be more true because there's Questions about the validity of data when you're using right. tools. That seems like operational adaptation, right? We're just like learning how to be more efficient about budgeting, about trying to validate our results. It's very core the way that UA operates, right? The channels that I think are most interesting right now, writ large, have been the innovations coming out of like Unity, Iron Source, Mintegral SDK types, where they're operating with less and less data and they're thinking ahead to when they will be forced to integrate with Scan fully, And I've seen some innovative solutions, but betas are always risky. There's always a chance of budgetary overrun. There's always a chance of things blowing up. So as we continue to learn, I have hope that those teams will continue to innovate in the right way. Back to TikTok for a minute. I think that this is the really large opportunity. I think you're right to identify it, that they've hired all the right people for the time being. They have unblocked a lot of the sort of political weird stuff that was happening about them it's largely the platform if you're in the younger generation in the u.s and it's so a good point it's yeah um, tiktok is kind of open for business and they're learning right now within that really constrictive scan targeting environment how to do contextual bidding and targeting once they crack it it's just going to be another version of the sort of like pre-cambridge analytica facebook era you know it's it's, it's vertical for a period of time. And then it'll reach a saturation point. That's my prediction, but I think that we're still in kind of the middle phase of that.
2: Yeah. And you brought up a good point, which is like thinking about, uh, I don't know what, Xander, like a year and a half ago on the podcast, like every other week, there'd be some discussion or some sort of legal case that threatened that maybe TikTok would be, you know, we'd be losing it as a channel altogether in the US. And
1: it seems like that conversation has just largely disappeared at this point. Yeah, there's no political appetite. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think if you're the administration in charge and you're trying to woo the younger vote, the last thing you want to do is kill their favorite toy. I think it's, <laughs> the already, they've already
0: issued the order that if you work for the government, you can't have it on your phone if you have a government phone. So, like, that's not a significant gap out of the user base. You know,
1: you know, I have anyways, this podcast It was my thought on TikToks and TikTok, we're not going to rehash it right now. The thing I would like to actually focus on is more just talking like, to something you said a little earlier, Warren, about how the role of a UA person is changing over time. And we've referenced this in terms of how attribution has decayed where we have scan we have android privacy coming up soon next year allegedly we'll see i want to talk a little bit about how folks are doing analytics you also reference this as well Ron. how some folks are leaning all the way into scan some people are saying what well, do probabilistic at uptick we do something that's a little bit in the middle we see the best signals from everything do you want to, I guess I want to talk about how our sophisticated user acquisition teams now thinking about how to build an analytic stack that is really effective for growth. So I hear two topics there. Let's dig into each of
2: them. The first is just what does it mean to do user acquisition in 2023, 2024? And how has that changed? Maybe we'll start from the human side and then go into the data stack and tech stack side. That sounds good to y'all. Yeah. So I know when I started my career, like moving into free-to-play gaming, it was sort of the norm that the skill set. For user acquisition was an analyst skill set. And even recruiting, recruiting would come from areas like healthcare, other areas where it was like people were just dealing with big spreadsheets. And that led to, so it's a little chicken and egg. I think it led to some sameness, lack of diversity within user acquisition teams, where it's like a lot of people with similar backgrounds focused on the analytics side, creative was less a part of the discussion. But it also made more sense because, A, we had a lot more manual levers that we could pull for optimizations. It was more human-based optimization. I remember Robert and I worked together in the past, and a lot of the day-to-day was just like going through massive spreadsheets and telling the ad network specifically what bids to put on thousands of individual publishers. And that's very different now. So the way that we spend our time is different now. The skill sets brought into user acquisition. And yeah, I know... Rob and Magda, you've both been doing this for a while. So maybe, I don't know, Magda, if you want to start here with, how is your job different now as a UA manager in 2023 versus when you entered the industry? How has it evolved?
3: Mm, I think I use much less Excel right now than I used to. Everything is on the (laughs) dashboard. So it's so much easier. I basically click one button and it's there on the platform. So it's amazing. Before that, I had to merge a few reports. I remember forgot really merging all the reports. And imagine forgetting or missing one day or something like this. I had to start all over again and it was horrible, but I was good back then in Excel. I don't use it anymore, so.
2: And then what are you spending more of your time doing? So you're doing less of like spreadsheet grinding, but where is that time spent?
3: I can really dig into data in different way, not really merging it, but really understanding what it says and how we can optimize uh, our activity, what we can do different and talking to people and understanding what are the trends in the market and maybe what we should uh, check next. So it's very different, different right now.
2: Yeah. And, and Robert, I know you've done a lot of growth consulting with different companies over the last couple of years. So how has, how you add value and what the needs of these companies are from growth slash user acquisition, how have you seen that really evolve since uh, you should. and I first started working together?
0: Oh yeah. I think the shift has been much much towards specialization in a lot of ways there's been a lot of teams that have been putting up roles or or like shifting internally towards having areas of excellence or knowledge centers of specific topics and areas of ownership So you have a lot more nowadays, at least in like the very large teams, of dedicated efforts towards a specific type of marketing, as opposed to just like generalized UA. We saw that years back in the boom period as well, but now teams are trying to like dedicate more resources to understanding things like lifecycle, to addressing things like retargeting, or to really hone in on more specific challenge areas And I think that the thing that has changed about the job is that it used to be more or less that you have a bar and you have a line. And the line of being above the bar means that you increase and being below meant that you decrease. And nowadays, there's an awful lot more investigation into the creative performance, into what is driving creative performance, into placement level and the inventory that you're buying. Because what we're trying to move towards is truly sustainable long-term you know, user acquisition. And most teams want stability and struggle to find it because things in life aren't stable. Um, And so a lot of the efforts I see now have been more focused on trying to improve the mid funnel and trying to improve the consistency of like the user onboarding to later user flow, rather than when we began a user acquisition where it was really just kind of like much more of a... More siloed, right? I mean, I, I almost think of like the old Role of UA is like storming the beaches, where everybody just kind of like sets up their campaigns Mm -hmm. and like goes, and we kind of like see what happens after the event. And nowadays, it's a lot more planning and validation, and planning and validation.
2: Yeah, when you describe the analogy you gave of just like there's a line, and if the number's above the line, you scale; if not, you decrease. What comes to mind for me, how I see you guys having to spend your time, and everyone I know doing this work is. It's not just about reporting on what the data is because you can't trust numbers as they're presented in the MMP anymore. It's more like they're a breadcrumb trail and part of a growth manager. And, and we, we started just using the term growth more broadly than user acquisition because user acquisition to me is like a certain stigma of a specific way of doing growth. But I digress. Point being, like I love our work. It's like, yes, if you log into AppsFlyer or Adjust or whatever MMP you're using, Singular, The numbers are going to tell you this, but here's how you should actually interpret that data because seeing 100 installs and $100 in revenue on IronSource is very different from seeing that in TikTok or in Google. Tying back a specific example, as we all know, a ton of Google AdWords inventory is from YouTube and the YouTube app does not ask for consent for tracking currently. So it basically means you get no opt-in users that you have the actual revenue signals from from that YouTube inventory. That's a whole new can of worms for interpreting the data. So I, that's that's, that's definitely big. Too. Yeah, go if, ahead. Uh, like that. The knock-on effects of that sort of challenge
0: are really, really substantial. So, like, if you're bidding on CPA and you see YouTube growing, like, what do you do? That's the question that I think teams are broadly sort of faced with at this right. portion. Because nobody's saying that YouTube inventory is not valuable. It's just we build an algorithm to do a certain thing, and if we're missing that data signal, what's happening there?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Magda, any additional thoughts there?
3: And um, no, I agree. Now we have to really interpret the data and understand how it's measured to make the right decisions.
2: Yeah. Even like, what is organic users and organic revenue? You know <laughs> what I mean? Because it's not, it's not as simple if you just, again, log into your measurement provider and pull up the organic segment. Yeah, that's not, that's not really organic. On Android, it is what it is, but on iOS, like even how we think about organic users has become completely
1: redefined. So this is sort of the back half of the question I posed earlier, which is we talked about how your role as a UA practitioner has changed or growth practitioner has changed. What are the ways that sophisticated growth teams are doing this now? Like what is the infrastructure they need? What is the technology they are using? And what are the models that they're applying in order to actually get good outcomes?
2: We have a weird perspective on that here because at Uptick, one of the foundational principles of how we built this company was Let's have the growth marketers work with engineering team side by side to make tools to like, you know, reduce grunt work, solve some of these problems. So that's a big thing that's really different about our culture is like when we run into a new problem, it means that we meet with an engineering team and talk about how from a tech standpoint, we can solve it, chip a new tool around it. So that's something that we've really evolved here. But I'm curious, you know, how we see the tech stacks evolving for other teams. I think it's really bifurcated it's 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 really spread out the approaches like i'll find more and more that one team's approach is totally unrelated to the next team's approach it's like every i know i said like we're kind of past the chaos period but it doesn't seem like there's like unified agreed ways to do profitable ua what are you guys seeing as far as like changes in the tech stacks the analytics approach for different
1: teams yeah i mean it's definitely bifurcated business models Mm -hmm. i think one of the things that you're sort of referencing is like We're gonna say this explicitly, but a lot of teams using the data as an indicator and then doing stuff like looking at the game's overall health over time to be like, all right, this is actually a source of truth. Whereas before we could really, really trust our cohorts, now we trust our cohorts less and less and we have to just look make sure that the game in aggregate is not is or is not losing money. Curious if Rob or Magda have any other thoughts about how people are maturing with the new tech environment that we're in today.
0: I'm reminded a bit, sorry to just jump in, but I'm reminded a bit of kind of the early days before we had the major established MMPs where each company kind of needed to ask itself the build or buy question. And I don't know if anybody else did, but I worked at a a studio that took the build approach to attribution. And that was just endless conversations between tech teams, analytic teams, and UA, that we were building our own links. It wasn't a good time, especially because they were error prone and full of problems. Nowadays feels kind of like that in some ways where with the different data stacks that we're getting from the different partners, we have MMP data, scan data, we have Android data, kind of they don't really mix very well. And so what a lot of the conversations have shifted towards with analytics is actually more basic, like data validation type questions more than it is what we used to be doing, which is really more sophisticated data views. But by that same token or in that same way, once those issues are getting resolved nowadays, I feel like people's individual companies, I should say, are getting more and more sophisticated. Like with UpTick's view it, that we're kind of taking from each of the data sources and trying to hybridize. So I think Singular kind of pioneered on this. I think a few other companies kind of did this, you know, ETL transformation of data to be a more accurate and representative over time. And I think nowadays, despite the attribution challenges, we're starting to reach a point where those. Data views are getting robust enough to feed real actionable insight and it's driving actually the product teams and the data teams and the engineering teams and the UA teams closer together. That's a good thing, like overall.
2: Yeah, what I I see is, is simultaneously the conversations around data are getting much more complex in some of the ways that Rob just alluded to, but also more dumbed down in the sense that more and more teams are identifying UA success by just looking at their all-in return on ad spend or even just like from a cash flow perspective rather than a cohorted perspective. And it's not so much that that's wrong. It's more that teams have to kind of like have two lenses that they look through UA performance simultaneously, that from a business standpoint, like your finance team, your executive team, they're looking at just sort of all-in cost versus what did we recoup. But still anyone who is in charge of an individual channel has to do some of this more nuanced data modeling through either tools or manual work to understand like, okay, well, here's how we should actually judge TikTok performance on iOS versus iron source performance on Android and normalize and judge where we reinvest the money. So it's sort of like on the mid-level or IC level for UA, we need to use these advanced data modeling techniques, but the business is higher up. Like your CFO doesn't really give a crap about how scan works. They just want to know why did we make less money this month than last month? And so I think that's a big change. It used to be that me, you know, when I was in my UA roles, like we would sit down with the finance team, everyone's looking at the data the same way, understanding like, okay, yeah, Facebook was profitable, Google was unprofitable, et et cetera. And that's, now we have these two separate languages. Yeah. And
1: it seems to be leading to a bifurcation of outcomes, right? Which for uptick is really good for sophisticated teams. It's really good, but it also means that, you know, the low to mid-tier marketer is increasingly left behind. And more infrastructure has a higher impact. And that's something that if you're in the space of selling infrastructure, it's good. And for the average person who maybe doesn't have a giant war chest, it's maybe not as good. We've talked sort of implicitly about mobile this entire time. And I kind of want to broaden that out to other perspectives on other segments of gaming. How are the team feeling about other segments of gaming? I think PC is a place that we're really expanding. I don't know if anyone wants to touch on console, but then also how's Web3 growth going?
2: Yeah, I think... Let's see. Are we allowed to talk about Web3 yet? Like, are the pitchforks still out? It, They're it, around. <laughs> it's half yeah, it's been, I, I, guess, I guess, yeah, at the time we're recording this, Bitcoin is back up, so people are allowed to talk oh, yeah. about yeah. Web3 again. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, one, one of the, the things that we have kind of theses here at Uptick for, like, where the market is going every year. And for going into 2022, we thought that was going to be a big year for Web3 growth emerging definitely ended up being the case for this year i think our thesis was it's going to be a big year for pc and cross-platform becoming more the norm and I'd say we're slightly behind schedule but it's definitely airing that way i mean we've seen around summer q2 q3 we saw apps flyer adjust singular all launch pc and cross-platform gaming products and in the same way all those companies said like web3 initiatives the year before and to be fair so did everybody else all of them started moving into this pc and cross-platform market segment for me it's like it's the biggest no-brainer like if you're developing a game you want the maximum addressable install base and you want the maximum just opportunities for your audience to play the game that they want to play so i think we'll see this more normalized and we're already seeing that most of the big game launches like diablo immortal was a good example of this where I think a lot of that play happened over PC, even though it was like a mobile-first title. I don't know. Magda, do you, what, what are your thoughts on, on cross-platform becoming the norm? Or Am I overestimating that? Or do you think it's going to be in certain genres? What do you think?
3: I think it has to, because uh, as you mentioned, MMPs, they kind of predicting the future and offering tools for measurement. I know that they're not perfect yet, but probably it will be a process to make them work in the right the right way. So definitely, I think that that's something that we can expect. I'm not sure what kind of far future it is, if it will happen next year or maybe in five years, but definitely something that we can expect.
0: I think in a lot of ways, the sort of stranglehold that Steam still has over the PC market overall, it acts as a little bit of a slowing of a trend that I think we all identify. Uh, Steam has relatively light integrations for marketing the analytics are not spectacular their support is not spectacular they don't seem very interested in the sort of growth that the mmp's are and so like considering the partnership that needs to happen between you know and adjust and the steam organization valve right um yeah i'm less than 100 certain that we will see like a boom in that subsection that being said i think that pc gaming is in a really good place i see ads for games that I end up downloading and installing. I think individual teams are getting very sophisticated, especially from the very major publishers. Paradox comes to mind that they produce a lot of like strategy games. They are very, I think, sophisticated about their advertising. I think that that's where we're talking about PC gaming. Mostly we're talking about kind of like an older generation of developers. And the level of sophistication that some of them have reached is good. It's big. It's good. Uh, there are some missteps. I think Blizzard isn't currently kind of squandering their In opportunity. Microsoft? Yeah but you know like not notwithstanding i think that there's lots of space for for startups and it doesn't need to be indie darlings that get picked up on from the curators in steam i think that there should be a real market developing and i think web3 dovetails into that in some ways i think as we get more cross platform exposure the generation that grew up on fortnite and roblox and minecraft starts to become more of a larger consumer base the expectation that you have cross-platform support, or you you have you know a phone experience versus a PC experience will continue and analytics will get better about that. So I think it's a kind of a long play still from here, but I see a lot, a lot of good
2: trends. And just, so I just wanted we... to quickly touch on Web3 a little bit more and kind of like how we see that fitting into the puzzle. We talked about like PC and mobile platforms. I think it's becoming more and more clear that like Web3 isn't a platform for gaming. It's more like a technology layer that you can or can't choose to include in your game. And I think we're kind of finding the lane like Apple and Google's policies and Epic. Steam is still pretty firmly against it, but we're just seeing games that are, they're just games and you can play them as regular free-to-play games, but you can have a Web3 experience or ownable items if you so choose, but not this clunky... 1.0 1.0 that we saw of web3 games where it's like oh if you want to play you got to buy this nft first and buy some ethereum and then bridge it over to uh you know polygon and then use that to buy our token and use that token to play the game like that was doomed to start and then i think we're not going to see a lot of replication of that 1.0 era
1: in the next era okay you said something I interesting just to go back briefly to the steam point i think steam the reason why we see a little bit of a different behavior on Steam is because they did something that the mobile platforms never did, which is they actually do really good distribution themselves. They have incredible recommendation engines. They're able to sell without advertising, and so that's one of the reasons why I think it's a little bit more of a nascent. The hyper growth that we've seen on our mobile is not quite there. All right, so we have just a couple minutes left. I want to go to the future. When is everyone buying an Apple Vision Pro, and how excited are they about it?
0: Right after I get my iPhone 15, I think.
1: Uh, more, more seriously, more seriously, like. Is there anything interesting in the future that we should look towards? Is VR or metaverse, whatever we're calling this now, a trend that is even meaningful to talk about? What are the other key unlocks that are coming down the pike?
2: I don't know that we're going to see it as like a new distribution platform or discovery channel. What I do think we might see as, uh, I think we'll continue to see like slow but gradual adoption of VR gameplay experiences, but I think it's almost more that cross-platform view of The most successful games will have a way that you can interact with the same game, same worlds for those maybe 30 minutes a week that you do VR, but you can also be having it playing on your phone at night. I think that the lane is more there rather than like breakthrough games that are played only on VR just because it just doesn't it's still in that novelty phase. It doesn't represent enough of our like gaming diet to, to merit large scale development of VR only experiences.
1: Yeah, it'll come. We're there. I mean, I think I actually think mm. the Meta Three is pretty interesting. It's like a actually yeah. pretty good headset. The tech is great. For and it's cheap, and that's the important thing. Mm-hmm. Is it's like five hundred dollars. So you know there will be breakout gameplay experiences here. We're likely years out, but we'll see. All right. Any final thoughts before we wrap up?
2: Magda, Rob, do you guys have any predictions for the future of where this whole thing is going? The game of growing games. Oh, the game of growing games. I don't know if we're
0: going to see cataclysmic change in the next six, eight months. I think the marquee prediction that I was going to make in this podcast has already been made, which is that I think we're still going to see TikTok get bigger. I think it's going to go to an uncomfortable scale and then recede back down in a similar way that Facebook did. So, you know, I think we're still in for that distribution channel maturing in a pretty big way. They just became a self-attributed network. So that's i know that it's not as maybe controversial as
1: some other potential predictions what about you manga okay. any final thoughts
3: my final thought is i don't know why we didn't make this podcast about google introducing a uh, look like after so many years uh, when other media sources did it i thought it, would, it should be the main content today
1: Well, we can do another podcast about google <laughs> 45 minutes on just that
3: uh, this is the future of ui in my opinion <laughs>
1: Yeah, very tactical on short says, term. Yeah. Well, congratulations, guys. We made it all the way to the end, and we didn't even mention AI once. So to learn about what's coming on with AI, you're going to have to look to the next episode.
0: Didn't need to mention it. All of my notes were already in AI, generated by AI. So...
2: Awesome. Well, thank you, Rob. Thank you, Magda, for joining us today. As always, the podcast was brought to you by our team here at Uptick. Here at Uptick, we do all things to help games grow. We provide the cross-disciplinary workforce and experts to do user acquisition, both in its current state and its future states, wherever that may go, as well as creative analytics and everything related to that. And we build really cool tools to solve many of the problems that we talked about today. So if you need help growing your game, you can reach us at Uptick.com. That's U-P-P-T-I-C Talk soon.